0: Thanks very much, and thanks for inviting me to, to speak. Um, I guess I'm taking a slightly uh, different line of attack into, the, into this contentious issue of, of where music and humankind sort of coexist. But hopefully it'll, it'll shed a different light, which will lead to uh, a good discussion. I spent a lot of my life working with um, children who I think of as being... At the extremes, really, of ability um, and disability, Ian's obviously given up the crick neck problem, you know? <laughs> and um, over a period of about thirty years, I've worked with uh, some of these uh, people who are now young adults, um, mm-hmm. and so I've got a fairly sort of good longitudinal take on their on their musical lives. So here we go. So looking at. Uh, blindness and autism, which are the two areas where I principally worked. A bit on prevalence, there's something like 100, one in a hundred children on the autism spectrum uh, in uh, developed countries. and Something like three in ten thousand are blind. So in a sense they're, they're minority disabilities you might say, but of course it's an awful lot of people for those who are affected. And it seems um, and this is really the the theme I want to develop that both blindness and autism can have a similar and a very deep effect uh, on developing musicality and the issue I want to draw out of course is why that should be so what are some of the uh, potential consequences of, of early blindness and autism? I think a, a clear one that um, you see, see an awful lot is a greater motivation to attend to other than visual perceptual input now clearly if you can't see if you're blind that's a fairly obvious thing to do but an awful lot of autistic children too have difficulty in processing visual information in one way or another or in putting together auditory and visual information and a lot of them do seem to come to rely on um, auditory stimulation a second point is that challenges in certain areas of conceptual understanding cause and effect and again for blind you can appreciate a blind baby never sees one thing hitting another and knocking it off the table. They never see the hand going onto the door handle and opening the, the door. And of course a lot of our understanding of cause and effect and basic concepts is visual. And an awful lot of um, sort of bootstrapping has to go on in the in a blind baby's mind to figure out what's happening from auditory input. But also autistic children, it seems strange when very often the these children seem very, very focused on the detail of life, but often they can miss out on what seem to us fairly obvious concepts. The fact that if I press that, it'll turn that on may not be obvious at all. And another big big challenge, of course, is... is, um, I think this is where the first big overlap comes, really, is in language, is in semantics. That symbolic link we talked about earlier just is much more problematic if you can't see. Again, if you think of... A typical baby, how do they learn language? How do they get that joint attention? It's, it's through vision. Um, mom or dad says, look at the cat, and they look at the cat. Baby looks at the cat. That, that joint triad of attention is absolutely fundamental to semantic understanding. And in the absence of vision, you think, well, how on earth does language ever get off the ground without that visual link triggering the symbolic connection? But also for autistic children, that can be hugely problematic. One of the great difficulties that many autistic people face is actually making sense of symbolism and also metaphor, which is you know, the sort of next abstract level of symbolism up. A flat battery can mean a very different thing if you're looking for something that's rather flat and shiny rather than loud. And of course the thing is, um, again, thinking of our current uh, sort of culture... I think the estimate currently is that music is in the typical baby's environment about 80% of the time. It's absolutely ubiquitous and omnipresent. It's impossible to go into the early learning centre now and buy something that doesn't make some kind of jingly noise. <laughs> uh, and every child, it seems, has some sort of uh, book with buttons that you press or an iPad or an iPhone or a computer. In fact, probably in this room, a thing about music is the quietest... Un, uh, you know, absence of music you'll have had all day I should think, that's some kind of irony isn't it? but I've got to play you some music in a minute so that's alright, and I know Ian's going to get us all singing later with those um, <laughs> those things so let's think about then the perceptual versus the functional processing um, of everyday sounds um, I've done a number of surveys of blind babies and got um, details from, from several hundred from all across the world now, as well as autistic children And a common trait when parents phone up and say, why is my toddler absolutely obsessed with the sound of the microwave or the hoover or the car engine or something like that? I do a lot of work with um, Derek Paravicini, who was in Oxford last night, actually, at the Town Hall, who's now 31 and is a recognised musical savant. And his favourite party trick is to tell you what uh, what the car engine is. So if if it's an F-sharp, he knows I'm obeying speed limit. If he goes up to G, he says, Adam, you're going too fast. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, because for him, the, what matters about the uh, the engine is, is, the, is the pitch of the note. An awful lot of autistic children, if you go around schools for children with autism, uh, they're often flicking things and uh, dinging things. I won't ding the microfix, it makes a noise. But um, it, is, it is as though they actually process uh, sound, not for its functionality, but for its perceptual qualities. And I've got to so say that leads to my kind of first hypothesis, really, of exceptional early cognitive environments is that there's a tendency in, in the blind babies and autistic children for all sound to be processed in musical terms. It doesn't mean they exclusively process all sound in musical terms, but I think there's a tendency for them to do so, which can have huge consequences, of course. So this is our first glimpse of young Freddie. Freddie lightens up my Saturday mornings um, between uh, 9 and 10. And uh, he's about uh, 11 years old now. And Freddie's, insofar as one can say, a sort of classically autistic child. He has about two two word sentences he, he will use uh, to get, usually, to direct attention or to get what he wants. But Freddie's um, parents got in touch because they said, well, he... he um, He's just emptied all the flower pots off the patio and brought them all into the kitchen and lined them up, and he's flicking them incessantly now. Um, so I said, Well, perhaps, he, perhaps he's musical, perhaps, he's fun, perhaps for him, the flowers are not the important thing, it's the sound the flower pots make. Um, and so I went there and, and tried to get some video and said, Do you mind just recreating it? Of course, Freddie wasn't going to have any of that. But anyway, you've. Um, He'd moved on from flower pots by then. But you can get a little flavour of um, Freddie's flower pots, as I now think of them, and his dad trying to get into to, to organise them. Me out, anyway. It just gives you a little tiny inkling into, into what's a very common behaviour. I think it's helpful, again it'd be interesting to talk about this in the context of what was said in the first half, to actually think of sound processing as, as starting as a kind of some kind of blooming buzzing confusion before birth, but sort of splitting up really into quite distinct, discrete functions within certain cultures. And I think it's helpful to think of everyday sound perception of musical perception and speech perception as having lots of overlaps but also having distinct uh, functions within uh, what we do Um, again it would be interesting to talk about that further but I think what what people like Freddie are doing it seems that he's actually usurping his music processing function and and processing a lot of everyday sound in terms of their musical function and you sometimes see it in speech too I've known uh, autistic adults, particularly with learning difficulties, who will recite songs and prayers and whatever they've learnt at school, but it's just a stream of sound, it's not actually individual words. They've learnt the words as a stream of musical sound. Uh, And I think that's really the first little part of the the model I'd like to bring to your attention. Another big um, characteristic you see in these two populations is absolute pitch, this ability to process pitch. In absolute terms, without needing a reference to something that's already there. So, yeah, most of us, if we said, "Can you sing Twinkle Twinkle Little Star?", we'd sing it as a, a series of relative intervals. Um, for someone with absolute pitch, they know the note that they want to start on, and that's the Derek here in the engine at F sharp or G, as the classic manifestation. And um, it's very culturally dependent, and. and uh, Again, I'm sure that's something we can discuss later on. But in most Western cultures, the average um, sort of estimate is it's about one in 10,000 people, this universal absolute pitch, the ability to hear any sound and recognise it uh, without reference to others. Uh, Among blind children, it's fairly reliable, about four in ten. So there's something dramatically different happening in the way that a lot of them process sound. With autistic children, it's it's very difficult to say because um, they're terribly difficult to assess, but People like Pam Heaton's work at Goldsmith suggests it's about one in 20, which again is, is um, you know, degrees higher than, than, than most of it. us. Um, it's about the same as uh, you get at the Royal Academy of Music Music, Ian and I. <laughs> and, and of course for some blind and autistic children, it's quite a different way of hearing the world, as we'll see. Musicians with absolute pitch are content usually to use it within a musical context. I think for the children we're talking about, they, they actually use that ability in quite different ways, in everyday ways, uh, and in uh, processing speech as well. So what are some of the consequences of this absolute pitch ability? Well, I was giving a very similar talk to this in Cornwall last year, and a, a man came up to me afterwards who, who was autistic, and he said, you've just explain something to me because fluorescent lights drive me absolutely crazy. Because the reason is they all emit a certain buzz, a certain pitch. And uh, he said, N- I now realise that I'm actually hearing notes when I hear the lights. He so was 50-something. Nobody actually pointed out to him that he was perceiving the world in quite a different different way. It's quite sort of humbling to, to be part of that process. He was he was really readjusting his whole perception of the world. Now so I think it's useful to debunk a myth. There's a kind of one uh, view of absolute pitch that... It's, it has to do with uh, labelling notes as on the piano, for example in other words if you can tell the note is F sharp then you have absolute pitch but of course most of, the, most of these children develop this skill about the age of 24 months on average long before they've learned the labels. so it's perfectly conceivable to have absolute pitch without the, uh, without the note labels to go with it I'll play you another clip of Freddie to show you exactly what that means after about a year of chasing Freddie around the house and feeling very guilty taking money off his parents for these so-called piano lessons, I managed to get Freddie finally to sit down at the piano. And his compromise was that he would... we kind of have an interaction, but um, it's interesting thinking of music as an interaction. It's quite different with a child with autism sometimes. Um, he'd, He'd have an interaction, but he wouldn't actually play the piano. He'd just pretend to play the piano. And because, of course, he has absolute pitch, in a sense, he doesn't need to press the notes down because he knows exactly what they... Sound like before he's pressed them. So we had this strange, slightly surreal interaction of Freddie sometimes singing the notes he's touching and sometimes singing different notes to, I think, to test me out. So here's a bit of Fred uh, pretending to play the piano.
1: Good one. You sing.
0: Dad says, why does he do that? I think partly it's because that's his way of achieving a compromise between us. And partly, because he generally doesn't need to press the notes down. He doesn't know what they sound like. It must seem rather strange to him that these silly people need to press the notes down to hear what's already very clear in his head. So there's another, another thing about, when I say debunking myths, that's probably a bit strong, but there is a view that perhaps absolute pitch is something we all have and then gradually lose. But the children I've worked with since they were babies suggests mm, that's not the case, actually. I think of a little boy called Nick, um, who was, I first saw as a blind baby when he was 12 months old. And uh, he just lay in his mother's arms, and another boy was playing the organ at the school where I took. And he just listened for about 20 minutes, just froze and listened to this musical sound. But of course, for a 12 month old, it was very unusual. I said to his mum, well, he's at the very least very, very interested in music. But just, just, chill out, and you know, just, just enjoy enjoying music. So of course, she whipped straight out on the piano, and um, 18 months, 18 months old was propped up on the piano stool playing everything in C, playing little pieces. Uh, but by 24 months, he he'd resolve those into absolute pitches. So he was playing pieces in the right key. I remember him playing the A major Mozart Sonata with the variations, for example, the the theme from it at uh, age 24 months in A major whereas at 18 months he was playing in C silly boy I said. <laughs> get in the right key um, so the challenge Nick is blind and autistic he's now 25 years old and a fine fantastic chap I saw him yesterday uh, he has learned the cello and plays in local orchestras in Surrey where he lives and he plays the piano for enjoyment and also for, for concerts and in chamber music but at the age of four, when I started to try to teach him, the challenge with Nick was how to get him to interact at all, because he, for him, music was his own private plaything. It wasn't something to, to share. And again, this is a very interesting sense of music as a, social, uh, as a social activity. For Nick, it wasn't a social activity. Nick, For Nick, it was his way of controlling and defending his own private world. So the only way I could get Nick to have an extended rapport with me was to play the goodbye song because he knew that was the end. So, mm-hmm. The first piano lesson was me playing the goodbye song. The only way I could then extend that in the second lesson was to play it in a different key to keep his interest. So what the clip you're about to see is I think about the sixth lesson when I've got managed to play it in six different keys. As you'll see, Nick sometimes joins in with the right key and sometimes joins in with the wrong key. But I promise you every note is uh, is intended. And the funny guy jumping up and down is an earlier version of me before I was married as I always say in fact my wife was here in Oxford so there we go The Last word, of course, good old me. So that's music and everyday sounds. What we said is that um, perhaps some of these children process everyday sounds in quite a different way. They process it as absolute pitch and then draw that across into their music making as well. The other big thing I want to think about is music and language processing, which again is very interesting in the context of what's already been said. So we said language makes sense. Amongst other things, through semantics, through the meaning, through the linking of a symbol with a sound, and through syntax, through the way that um, concepts are structured through sound, and of course through the sound qualities of words themselves. And of course, language um, acquisition is typically visually driven and therefore particularly challenging for blind and autistic children. And here we've got the children surrounded by stuff they don't understand or find challenging, which is language. Yet 80% of their lives they are surrounded by this stuff that they don't need to understand because it's not propositional. It's not, it doesn't tell them to do anything. I think a lot of children with disabilities are constantly surrounded by language, telling them to do stuff, get up, sit down, have something to eat, stop doing that, stop doing that. I said stop doing that. <laughs> Whereas music just is. It's not telling you to do anything, it just is. It's, it is pure sensory pleasure in really. And, of course, music, at one sense, although music can function symbolically, as we'll see, it doesn't have to. It can exist as pure pattern, even when it's associated with dance or with words. It's still pure pattern within it. And it doesn't have the problems of semantic or syntactical understanding. All you need to do is be a good pattern processor in sound, and you can understand music at one level. So the second theory I want to advance is that these exceptional early cognitive environments, all about through blindness or autism, gives a tendency, a tendency for all structures, all sounds to be processed as musical structure, not only as music. So what do we mean by musical structure? I can hear Ian groaning now as I talk about my zygotic theory. Which, um, it's all all zybonic, and my, my big interest, apart from children with special abilities of beings, is how we all make sense of music. Why is it that anyone could just turn on the car radio, hear something and they, the music intuitively makes sense? You need no education, you need no uh, training at all. It's, it's just there. And my, the theory goes, and it fits rather well, as you'll see, with, with the way these children process music, it's all about one sound imitating another uh, in the brain, one sound being heard as deriving from another. And the way I think of it is, think of it like this, think of Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, which is always a good starting point for all music analysis. And it starts with the most simple possible stimulus, which is just a short, constant pitch, as we know. I can find the thing. OK, there we are, C. Now, what's the simplest... If you, have to, if you have to have another event coming after it, what's the simplest possible thing you can do in terms of information processing? Well, just copy it. And the second note, if you listen to it, the second note is heard as deriving from the first it copies it in the mind there's no actual causal relationship there it's not actually causing it but to the brain it kind of hears yeah I can hear the first note do the same thing again as the instruction twinkle twinkle is as we can see pretty repetitive because having repeated its first two notes uh, as we know notes three and four copy the same pattern so there's a certain level of abstraction there The next two notes copy the same pattern again. And so on. I won't bore you to death with Twinkle Twinkle. But suffice it to say that if you take pitch and rhythm together, there are only nine different notes out of 42. This means at the most basic level, music's about 80% repetitive. And in fact, Twinkle Twinkle isn't unique. It's maybe a children's song, but it's very typical in terms of its sort of Western structures. And in fact, whatever music you, you tend to take, and I think cross-culture as well, we can argue about that, but I think you'll find music's typically about 80% repetitive. Not only in terms of pitch, but also in terms of that regular pulse that Ian was talking about, in terms of the distances between notes, in terms of the, uh, the timbres that are used, in terms of the dynamics that are used. And so the internal meaning of music is in the repetition. Not only the repetition of pictures, but the repetition of differences, the repetition of ratios, and so on. It doesn't need semantics or symbolism. The notes just point to one another. So to understand music is a huge uh, processing load for a brain that's struggling with with language and words. So what would that music structural processing theory predict in respect to language processing in, in blind and autistic children? well, it will predict that they tend to process language as music. And it will predict, therefore, that they tend to repeat words in in sort of patterns, maybe nonsense patterns. And, of course, that's exactly what you find, this thing called echolalia, which is characteristic of virtually all blind babies at a certain point, and many, many autistic children. Um, Because of the semantic problem, the children tend to chain words together in in groups of similar sounds or similar words. Or if you ask a question... um, they'll say, how are you, and they'll say, how are you. In other words, they'll use the repetition as language syntax. Musical syntax becomes the syntax they use for language in the absence of semantics. So looking at the upside-down tree again, we can see that now not only everyday sounds, but also speech is usurped into that uh, music processing uh, faculty. And time and again you'll see young blind babies and autistic children using uh, language as though it's music in terms of uh, the way they create it. And even music, even music itself, becomes even more structured. Freddie is a typical autistic child in that he gets tiny fragments of YouTube and little jingles from the internet, little tiny groups of three or four notes, and pastes them together. I've known children literally play the same thing for ten hours this super structured repetition. It's as though music isn't repetitive enough at 80%, I want it to be 99% structured. Uh, And autistic children will will sometimes do that. They'll take music and make it even more musically structured than it was to start with. So what would you predict as a consequence of everyday sounds being processed as music, the absolute pitch, thing and also uh, language being processed uh, musically? Well, we predict that there's a frequent frequent development of exceptional musicality in blind uh, and autistic children. And just to show you a fairly typical example of the literally hundreds of blind children I've worked with over the years, um, here's young Kyla. Kyla was another four-year-old. Very often children seem to pop out of the woodwork when they're about four and they're going to school, I suppose, and everyone suddenly thinks, oh, that's so interesting, then how are we going to teach someone who can't see or can't understand? But Kyla is actually a very, uh, very able young lady, but something of a, a, a character, as you'll see. And um, her class teacher said, I'm sure Kyla's musical. She's always singing to herself. So I said, well, OK, well, well let's, let's see what we can do. Um, so I just... Um, what's Kyla interested in? Well, Kyla's interested in her two dogs, as you'll see. So I said, Kyla, just sing me something about like your dogs. So I just played four chords uh, and set her going. And here's, here's Kyla improvising vocally chess school I decided it's definitely time to move on she's a very strong personality but great great fun And of course you could hear with um, with Kyla she she speaks music she speaks a musical language she has a sort of western musical vernacular the rules the, the musical syntax in her head and she can just speak it she can produce it and she prefers music she's preferring music to words think of your your three things in she's, the music is preference to the word so she's making sense of the music ahead of the words uh, improvising both together <clears throat> what would you predict another consequence well given the opportunity which Kyla hadn't really had um, you'd predict if they had access to an instrument they might start exploring that instrument with that musical map in their brain and the desire to produce it if you if you put an instrument in front of a, a curious child, they'll probably start to explore it, and that was the case with Derek, who um, started teaching himself at the age of two. By the age of four, when I still hadn't met him, uh, this was Derek on the piano. I should say he was not playing conventionally because Derek's blind and autistic and has severe learning difficulties, and um, so he was actually playing it mainly with karate chops and his elbows and his nose um, But He was absolutely determined to play, come what may. at age four, he could not really speak but he, you know, he, he taught himself to play the piano he taught himself to play the piano being blind and having learning difficulties and the family were very sweet but none of them knew you know, white notes or black notes really, yet here was the boy with the, uh, you know, the IQ of 57 who was so motivated that he'd spent those hundreds of hours already uh, starting to acquire that skill it's wonderful now, he's 31 years old he was a couple of ridian in a town hall last night and some characteristics are still there. His love of um, virtuoso flourishes and also needing to have the last note down the bottom. <laughs> Sometimes I take his hand away on stage just before he does it. Right. So what else will we predict? Well, we predict, I think, that music would become an expressive language, not just an imitation. As we saw with Kyla, she's not just mimicking what she hears, she's actually starting to speak the language of music. And here's a bit of Freddie again, People so often characterise autistic children as automata or parrots. But you listen to Freddie uh, vocally improvising around uh, Twinkle Twinkle. I should say I'm kind of... He's actually holding my hands, I'm not holding his hands, just in case you think I'm kind of forcing him to do something. He won't let go of me. But listen to his singing. <laughs> together usually, and yet he can, and wants to, He's, he wouldn't do it if he didn't want to just spontaneously produce music, and, and also in a social context, I think uh, that, that social context is important for him So, just a couple more examples We'd also predict, perhaps in children who have no language at all, that music may even become a proxy language. For Freddie, in a way music's a parallel language to it's much stronger than his verbal language but for some other children, like the two I'll show you, Theo and Raimi, uh, neither of them had any language at the time when they, uh, we, I filmed them. Theo was um, a little boy, I think, aged two or three, uh, in Cambridge, actually. And you ought to go and see him. He's absolutely fascinating. He's a little boy with very little sight, actually, despite wearing glasses. And um, his mum called me and said, I've got this very unusual son. Um, he sings instead of talking. He, he, he speaks this kind of unique language, based a lot on music. Uh, so I said, OK, came along. And I thought, mad mum, you know, like you do. <laughs> and in fact, after me doing it, I still thought mad mum, as you see. But he then produced a transcription of everything that he'd done, and every sound he made means something. It's quite extraordinary. So here's Theo um, talking about his tractor, um, not just any old tractor, but he's got several different tractors on his farm and he refers to them all with different, subtly different sounds. So here we go. Mm-hmm. Pardon? Mm-hmm. You're going to
1: stop it being round. How are you going to do that? Mm. You're going to eat bits it. I see. Mm. Turns into a car. I see. You're going to turn it into a car shape. Oh, this could be tricky. Mm. a wheel, the four wheel for the car, yeah, see that? Mm-hmm. <coughs> two wheels, you need another one to do. We need two wheels. Um, mm-hmm.
0: Just in of time, I'll stop. But, um, Theo, I promise you, had a very sophisticated vocabulary, which with his mum's genius, She managed to scaffold this vocabulary and, and uh, lead, lead Theo to convince it was worthwhile communicating. Theo, I saw him a few months ago, he's actually talking in huge sentences now, he never went through the single word stage, he just went from his music bird language straight into... Um, things like, why is the radiator radiating heat in the way? I mean, he's he's obviously super bright, but I think language was just such, because he wanted to do it all at once, he had to kind of, there was kind of needing to invent some way of getting his communication out. Um, And obviously, you know, incredibly brilliant brain. And thank goodness for his mum, who through her sort of affection and understanding persuaded him it was worth keeping going with communication. Uh, when obviously it was challenging. Last example is Romy. Is Romy um, is nine and uh, she can't speak at all. She's very brain damaged. But music for her is an enormously important, uh, incredibly important element in her life. Music is her language, she, she doesn't speak. Um, when she was little, her father gave her a little uh, keyboard that had Furanese on it. And Romy's very fond of fear and ease when she was a bit older, her dad gave her another keyboard with the middle section of elise on it, which Romy smashed to pieces because uh, she couldn't bear the thought of her elise being different. So, being the caring teacher I was, I thought, what happens if I play the middle section? Um, and as you'll see, Romy um, talks to me on the piano saying, stop doing that. But she gets it wrong, which is a great thing because she says, stop doing that with a little motif that actually fits with the music. So she then has to play the same motive in F sharp major as you'll hear to make sure I get the message. And then a quick elbow as well. But you'll hear Remy in full flight. Here we go. She's going to go play G major to try and stop me. I mean that doesn't work. She'll pretend to play F sharp major, and she's going to play. As soon as I join in, she'll stop. Fantastic. So, finally, what might you predict if you get the blindness and the autism? Uh, the exceptional can be very exceptional indeed. Here's a tiny, tiny bit of Derek, age 10, um, just to show what can be achieved of Fax Waller. Yeah,
1: and now at the ripe old age of 10, he's here to play Fax Waller's great hit, Your Feet's Too Big, Derek the Paravicini.
0: you can see that um, Derek has taken Kyle's ability to speak the language of music and go on piano. he's improvising he hasn't rehearsed with the band he's just going for it um, fantastic and Derek at the age of 10 could still not talk very much I can tell you I think it's probably the time when, he's, when I used to bring him to Semperi conferences with him um, and it's a process has gone on for 20 years through Derek's music he's developed tremendously he's a fine young man he had a whale of a time yesterday you know, playing music at the very highest level So in summary, um, early sensory deprivation, uh, lack of vision in blind children or impaired visual function in some autistic children, um, I think produces an exceptional early cognitive environment, which has um, two two important consequences as far as we're concerned. One is problems with processing language. The other is problems with understanding the functionality of everyday sounds if you add into that mix the ubiquity of music and you add into the mix the fact that musical structure is self-referencing you don't need to have a symbolic understanding then I think all sound becomes processed as music to a greater or lesser extent one consequence of that is the development of absolute pitch in many children given the opportunity that will turn into exceptional performance skills time and again and in some cases it will turn into music being used as a proxy language I think there are interesting implications just to lead on to our discussion now. clearly there are high levels of musical potential far more widespread in the population than usually thought, there's nothing particular linking these children together apart from the fact they can't see or they have difficulties in processing language, there's no common syndrome but clearly the fact that not all of them uh, develop exceptional musicality suggests that it's not uh, universal a bit more about reading if you want to but I'll stop now because I've gone on a bit great